Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. Stay inside, wash your hands, and drink bush. <laughs> Pete Thamel. Is Mountain Dew like a cut ingredient in making, like, meth? You know what I mean? Like, like you couldn't want that much Mountain Dew. Like, there has to be some other thing. And SI's Pat Forty. Like watching a building collapse in slow motion, basically, for you about a two-minute and 13-second span, I want to say. And here's Dan. Uh, welcome to the pod. Another week of quarantine, distance, distancing, what social distancing. That's that's the that's the term. My house, we have started distance learning, homeschooling. Now, due to uh HIPAA regulations, student privacy laws, I cannot name names, <laughs> but two students have already been disciplined for fighting. <laughs> and one teacher has been accused of drinking on the job. I personally don't believe this case has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> a couple bush lights get found in the far corner of the teacher's lounge, a.k.a. the kitchen. What does it mean? What does it mean, Pat Forty? It means you're guilty. And no! <laughs> Could have been anybody. Yeah, sure. We're sending you to the Southern District, Dan. Ringing you up. Yeah, that's right. Get Mrs. Wetzel on the pod. We'll ask her. <laughs> I would say she's a material witness here. Yeah. Homeschooling. No. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Good God. All right. Uh, see if they How now, are you like... supposed to get through this without drinking? How do these <laughs> teachers do it? <laughs> Great question. All day. Every day. Yeah. Unbelievable. I've got five students. They're all college students and a teacher in the house here. And they, there may be drinking going on there, too, but it might be the students, not the teacher. Yeah, a little different. Well, I, don't, I hope my students aren't drinking, but anything's <laughs> possible because already hell's breaking loose. So we'll see. <laughs> I don't think that uh, the quality of instruction is going to be too strong if I'm in charge. I'm just. But anyway, I, I we will see where this uh, this disciplinary this case goes because i i don't think anything's been proven just accusations at this point just accusations I'm like will wade i was gonna say you sound like an lsu <laughs> fan or an arizona fan 
I also, I think we need to get right to. It's going to ring you up in 2026. So brace yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The NCAA case will take a long time. At no time have I ever (laughs) drank while being the homeschool teacher. Uh, I'm insulted by the uh, insinuation. There you go. I'm a man of great integrity and sobriety. I would love to address these accusations, but uh, we're under (laughs) a These are my final statement. Yeah. This is my final statement on the king. Uh, I've already been addressed. I don't. Uh, we need to get right to this story last week out of Louisville, Kentucky. A couple got a little chap at their local Kroger grocery store when they were prohibited from purchasing 23 cases of Mountain Dew. <laughs> 23 cases. They had multiple carts set up in the line. That's 552 cans of Mountain Dew. And the Kroger said you can only buy three. The guy's proposal was, I'll, I, I'll leave the store for a second, come back and buy three more. <laughs> Keep doing it. Problem solver, this guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. You know. So with Louisville resident Pat Forty, please explain yourself. What happened? <laughs> at the Kroger? What are you doing with that much Mountain Dew, son? <laughs> if you saw the pictures, too, of the, the man and wife team here, the tandem that was buying all the Mountain Dew. They were dressed like identical, like uniforms. These, you know, monster triple XL white t-shirts and the $11.99 sweatpants from Walmart. The guy, too, <laughs> had an impressive combo mohawk mullet. That was that was strong. <laughs> I, d- I don't know where the Kroger is. I could make some guesses. That, that looked like a kind of a South End Louisville couple. Uh, you know, hey, they wanted their Mountain Dew. I, the, the, the thing I don't I quite fully understand, like, if you are going to drink that much sugared, caffeinated soft drink and you're on home lockdown, you're going to be going completely insane, aren't you? I mean, you're going to be like bouncing off the walls. I don't want to be anywhere near that household when when like when when, well, they, when the clearly- 19th Mountain Dew sugar caffeine rush kicks in. If the coronavirus isn't going to get you, the 417th can of Mountain Dew is. <laughs> I really think we need to look at this from a different way. Like, is Mountain Dew like a cut ingredient in making, like, meth? You know what I mean? Like, like you couldn't want that much Mountain Dew. Like, there has to be some other thing. And in my mind, it keeps coming back to, like, why do 80% of the strange American stories that we talk about on this podcast end up being set in Kentucky? Can anyone explain that to me, please? <laughs> Goes all the way back to the cheese grater theft, you know? And yeah. then, yes, yes. A yes. long history. They all, so They all happen in Kentucky. People always ask Pat, why do you live in Louisville? Literally, he's in the epicenter of America. People just don't realize it. <laughs> That's it. It's never dull here, you know? So let's, let's, let's play our favorite game. We did this last week. Name the Hoarders college basketball, college sports program. Uh, Last week we had the Perel, the brothers in Chattanooga, Tennessee with the Perel. Yep. I think there were two or three votes for Tennessee. I voted Georgia for hoarding, but then falling short. And we mocked their uh, intelligence and giving an interview to the New York times. (laughs) At least this guy was just on a, on a cell phone camera while berating the Kroger manager who he deemed a liar she said they could only get three he informed that he was going to proceed to buy three take them out and come back in repeatedly until they had all the cases they wanted (laughs) seems like a loophole in the rule to me hey not easily deterred give him credit you know yeah that's game planning right there determination how do you deal with adversity you don't just get your (laughs) 
23 cases. You got to, <laughs> sometimes you got a game plan. That's right. They tell you no, you find a way around no. By That's the right. way, we have breaking news. Uh, producer Sully has just texted us an article from York, South Carolina. Authorities say four people have been charged after a traffic stop led to the discovery of a pound of methamphetamine drug-making materials and portable meth labs in Mountain Dew bottles. Ah. Uh. <laughs> mm. mm. Plot thickens. <laughs> Plot thickens. You got a little Breaking Bad episode going over in the south end of Louisville there, Pat. We do. Even though Pat's definitely never seen Breaking Bad. So. <laughs> no, but does, it, does it need to be Mountain Dew bottle or any bottle, though? That's really See, the, that's the uh, thing. Yeah, any, like, plastic bottle. Weren't these, these were cans. I think, I think we're unfairly uh, impugning our people, my people. <laughs> there. Let's go. Who, who are this couple? Clearly, they like Mountain Dew. They are in Louisville, Kentucky, so that could be Louisville, Kentucky, or Indiana all have possibilities there, I would say. Maybe a WKU Hilltopper. I don't know. Anything's possible. Choice of fashion, not strong. <laughs> but then they spend some time on the on the on the hairdo, not just the mountain dew, the hairdo. It's kind of got that yeah. that look was like uh who's that uh who's the guy who's a great player for Gonzaga, the basketball player? Adam Morrison. Then, yeah, he kind of got that Adam Morrison kind of look going. Yeah, Morrison didn't go Mohawk mullet though. I, it's you know who's kind of got that is that kid that uh, kid. He's like twenty five at BYU uh, this year. He had he had a the he had a bad stash and a and a mo mullet mullet hawk whatever. Uh, can't remember the name. So to, to answer your question, I mean this is a slam dunk. Aaron Baines. He kind of looks like Aaron Baines, the Australian yeah, who go. plays in the yeah, NBA. Sure, Boston he's a Washington Celtics. State. Was he at Washington yep. State? Yeah. He mm. played for Ke – no, he played for Tony Bennett at Washington. He did play for Tony Bennett. I did, they have, did that team have uh, Clay Thompson and Aaron Baines on the same team? They met overlap Not for like a year when Clay was young. Right. right. Some good recruiting, man. Tony Bennett knows what he's doing. Go figure. Yeah. But no, to answer your question, Dan, this is a slam dunk. If those aren't Kentucky fans <laughs> – are you kidding me? <laughs> then, then Adolph Rupp is getting up out of the grave and walking out of the state. I mean, there's they are 100% Kentucky fans. It is named Kroger Field. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. That's the name of the football field down there. So, no, that I'm sorry. But especially, I, and again, I don't know where that Kroger is, but if it's South End Louisville, that, that, is, a, that is a cat fan stronghold. And those look like cat fans to me. <laughs> now I'm going to take another level here. They're cat fans. They're hoarding. They're hoarding the Mountain Dew, much like Kentucky hoards McDonald's All Americans. Oh, now they yeah. may not always use them effectively, as the uh, body types <laughs> indicate on our on our faithful cat fans. But there is certainly an annual hoarding of the goods happening in uh, in Lexington every year. Great point. I mean, John Calipari is the 352 can of Mountain Dew or 552, whatever the number is, guy. Of college basketball. Somewhat shameless and just taking them all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I still think WKU has got a chance there. I don't know where exactly the, the Louisville fan gets to just look down on anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. Hey. But no I, I'm guessing that, that's a cat. That's a cat fan. Go cat. I mean. Got the, the the best part about what you just said, Dan, was I pictured Big Red walking through a Kroger with like eight yeah. cases of Mountain Dew. <laughs> the, 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 the Hilltopper mascot, who is a yeah. favorite of mine. I'm a big, big red fan. But oh, they yeah. could be like, you know, they could be like uh, Northern Kentucky, like a D2 team that they had to move to Louisville for a job. You don't know. 
Or they just like high school sports. Eastern Kentucky. Pike, maybe it's like Pikeville High or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. These college kids don't play as hard as the local boys. <laughs> since we're since sure. we're talking about rural Kentucky, Pat, tell us about your trip out to uh, rural Ashland. Uh, Appalachia, Ashland, Kentucky. To uh, you wrote a great article on SI.com about the undefeated Kentucky high school team that had its uh, dream of a state title dashed, and I thought that would have been an interesting trip and time to kind of go in there a moment of time. It's a great story. Our our, our listeners, because I know you have free time, should go check it out. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Ashland, Kentucky is 175 miles from Louisville. It is literally the last place in Kentucky on I-64 before you go over into either into West Virginia or into Southern Ohio. Very blue-collar area, oil refinery, big oil refinery. Ashland Oil was founded there. Steel town, coal area. Given the state of those industries, the place has been hit pretty hard lately. And it's uh, Ironton, Ohio over here, Huntington, West Virginia over here, and Ashland, Kentucky there. And, yeah, so I mean, they've had a great, great program forever. We're the 1928 national champions but And they've had great teams. 1961 team, one of the best in Kentucky history. Larry Conley, who was a Rupp's runt, was on that team. But this team, they were 33-0 and and trying to become the first undefeated Kentucky High School State champion since 1948, believe it or not. It's uh, amazing. And, wow. I mean, to, to not have an undefeated state champion seems really weird for 72 years. But they may not have won it. You know, I mean, that there's been a lot of Eastern Kentucky teams that get into the Sweet 16, and all of a sudden they're they're in an athletic uh, disparity against teams from Louisville or other places, but they were really good, really good and fun. Five guard lineup, spread the floor, shoot the three, and they didn't get a chance to play. They, yeah, they, they've technically only postponed the Sweet 16. They may still play it, but it's almost certain that they will not. And uh, you talk to the kids and you just your heart goes out to them and everybody in that community that was so excited by that team. I just want to update earlier point. The 2008-2009 Washington State Cougars did have Aaron Baines and Clay Thompson on it. Good team. Uh, yeah, well, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Lost in the NIT. Whoa. Oh. Wow. First round of the NIT, they lost to St. Mary's. Lost in the quarterfinals of the Pac-10 tournament. Now, Clay was a freshman, but he was all Pac-12 freshman. But Baines was a senior. I'm not really sure. They went 8-10 uh, yeah. in league, 17-16 and 16 overall. Huh. But what did what Baines average? Like, Baines is not a guy who would have averaged 22 points a game at college. No, he would have been like no. 12 and 11. Especially no, in a Bennett system. He was a screen, you know, rebound. Yeah. That's a heck of a screen, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was yeah. Jack Salt <laughs> with a little bit more skill. Now, yeah. he became a much better pro than he was a college basketball player. Yeah. But I covered them like 2006. Fire Tony Bennett. <laughs> 2006 or seven, they were playing for the Pac-12 championship uh, out there against... Uh, yeah, 2007 against UCLA. They were really good then. 26 and 8. Baines was on that team. But by the way, Pat, since we're, we're talking about Washington State, I, I interviewed Nick Rolovich last week uh, about uh, first story about what's next with academics and college sports and whatever. And your your Pullman uh, diatribes have been heard in the Palouse. <laughs> let let it be they? known. Let it be known. It was brought up unprompted by Coach Rolovich <laughs> that uh, your dislike of the Palouse is uh, is got gone unnoticed in uh, Eastern Washington. We'll just leave it I at that. Still, I do not understand how Rolo is going to go from living in Honolulu to living in Pullman. I do not. I can't fathom it. Uh, Pete, you did a story this week on uh, NCA concerns featuring a bunch of athletic directors. I saw. Uh, also, a story, uh, Scott Strickland, the Florida AD, talking to Mike Bianchi in Orlando about the disaster that would happen if there was no football 
Obviously, we don't know where this thing is headed. It still seems implausible that we wouldn't have a football season, but nobody knows. There could be flare-ups. There could be all sorts of things. What What are you hearing from board yet busy <laughs> athletic directors right now? Well, I think the ADs are maybe a little busier than the coaches in some sense because the ADs you just have you know a thousand athletes at these big schools to manage, and you you you're you know you're in charge of a lot of people who are in uncertainty, so you have to make a ton of decisions. So that the ADs have been fairly busy. The uh, not that the coaches have been bored. A lot of the coaches were coming in and out of breaks, and so they they've been busy kind of like dealing with Zoom and distance learning and and all those you know just like the you, you know, locking into the new normal. I mean, the thing our listeners probably don't appreciate about college head coaches is that, for example, Brian Kelly has 51 people who report to him, nutritionists, strength staff, recruiting, your 10 on-field coaches. And that doesn't count the 100 players, obviously, in the 85 on scholarship and the walk-ons. So that's like, you know, you are a you are running like a fairly large corporation and you got everyone's got family situations. So there's a lot of just like putting out fires, dealing with individual situations, et cetera. So I, I think like the 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 ADs and the coaches are now just sort of tap dancing around, you know, trying to settle in in this in this new normal. That said, like the coaches have time. I talked to six coaches in the last couple of days, and most of them for like at or over an hour, like. Whereas usually college football head coaches, like the calls are pretty quick, but a lot of them want to know what other coaches were doing, what other coaches were saying. And then some of them are just a little bored. That happens. But they also have a lot of concerns on their hands, I think, you know, yeah. and that's the thing is, is where is this going? When's it ending? When, when can they start a new normal, so to speak? And yeah, the big question, you know, in your story is a good story because you kind of talked a lot about the, you know, the academic questions, you know, are kids going to be able to take tests, standardized tests, recruits coming in? Are the players that you already have going to be able to finish classes? Are they going to have good enough grades to go forward? Are we going to play football in the fall? I think the big hanging question out there, I, I have to think we will. But as Dan alluded to, we don't know all the we don't know, first of all, when this thing's going to be controlled. We don't know what the you know, I think that we're going to have an altered kind of public health consciousness going forward and what sort of ramifications that may have, what new protocols, new laws, new rules, that sort of thing. I am sure that if we get to Labor Day and we have football, we are going to have full stadiums in, in the places that love football. But I think there's still going to be a little bit of, of trepidation maybe from some people about going into crowded public spaces and that sort of thing. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, you could also have they can demand half filled. Sure. They can. I mean, right. I think one thing we've seen in this is is um, the government can pretty much come in and tell you whatever the hell they want. So things that that you go, well, that how does that work? Well, if they say you can only put 50,000 in your stadium because they need distance. Yeah. I, I Again, I had no idea. But yeah, I just I just think we're so early on this. We don't know. But if you're an A.D., or you're you got anything to do there? You, that's what you're paid to worry about. And I think in in Pete's story, talked to um, Gordon G at, at the president of West Virginia, who's the president of Ohio State, and about thirty other schools through the years. <laughs> it, it, but he had a very good point in that the schools can't bail out the athletic departments. No, the the schools are in a lot of trouble. Uh, I, I mean, how many people are going to go to college next fall? How many kids aren't? How many people can afford it? I mean, there's a lot of wealth lost, college funds lost, job loss. I mean, everything could change. And, and, and these schools were already operating 
you know, on a very thin margin in, in, in some cases. And all of a sudden you sit there and say, hey, look, you're going to go to community college for the year because I lost my job and we're going to we'll get to university or we just lost. We don't have the college fund anymore that can yeah. that can pump you through this or loans are tougher to get everything. Uh, you know, you could see drastic drops and, and athletic departments out. Look, I never saw this coming, obviously. Mm. But I have been saying what happens when the TV money does dry up. You know, everyone goes, oh, the Big Ten Network's paying us for all this money. We'll hire 50 more people. The FCC Network. Well, what happens when that goes away? Well, I mean, ticket sales, NCA revenue, boosters. I mean, your big pocket boosters aren't those pockets aren't as deep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, athletic departments that are going, this is going to be devastating. Well, it's devastating for everybody right now. I mean, you know, your local restaurant, the, the 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 car dealership, the the shop. I mean, everyone's devastated. Is laying people off. Does that hit college athletics, which has been virtually recession proof for mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I don't know, hundred yeah. years or something? Yeah. I mean, you know, like that's the stuff that that I think all of a sudden becomes wow because these schools were spending to impress each other. They were yeah. spending like drunken sailors. Mm-hmm. And nobody could have predicted this, but here it is. And you all of a sudden say, well, we just lost 20% of our revenue or 15% of our revenue. And I think a lot of businesses would be quite pleased if that's all they lost. Or if any of us said, hey, I only lost 10% in the market. Paul, Boy, really? Two university points that I learned from, from doing this article that I thought were interesting, Dan. One is that universities make a ton of money off of food, like for students, and they make a ton of money off of housing, which I guess I knew, but I never really thought sure. of it, right? Like, they just, you know, yeah. when, when you think of like the tuition, uh, like a big chunk of that now, schools are almost 80 grand a year at your highest high end, Boston University, Syracuse, the places that are always the most expensive, you know, USC's to, to give it some geographic diversity, like that's 80 grand a year. So a huge chunk of that is food and housing. So if you have to give that money back or refund part of that money for this semester, it's just a giant slice out of things. Gordon Gee told me that they were going to uh, credit the students at West Virginia moving forward. And he said part of that was because they want if you give someone a credit, they have to come back to the store, meaning like it was almost like an incentive to come back to school. And I, I talked to someone else in the academic space last week who made an interesting point. He said that you know schools that normally now like college tuition is like obnoxiously expensive, yet people are lining up and fighting to pay it, right? Like it's this, you know, that the highest end of the Harvard's only have a 5% acceptance rate. That means 95% of the people are dying to pay 80 grand a year or whatever it is. Now there's financial aid and all that other stuff. But like the point is like the model is such and it's sustaining and growing and these prices are growing because people are, people are willing to pay it. So one person told me that a president told him, you know, their school usually accepts 30% of applicants to use a round number. Well, this year they're going to accept between 35 and 40% because they need to make sure that those dorms are filled. They need to make sure those dining halls are filled. Like the collegiate model and the the the, the financial dynamics of it as we know it are, are going to change rapidly through all this. And the trickle down to athletics is inherent in that. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. Again, I just, I just think it's the margins. It's, it's how many families are going to say, okay, you got into, you know, school X, but we're going to defer enrollment and stay home this year and do to community college. Sure. Yeah. You know, or I now need financial aid when I was going to be able to pay it or, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I think that's, what's keeping these guys up crazy. And, and, and then eventually that filters in. So college athletics are going to be in a lot of ways, I mean, if you're sitting there saying we got to close a dorm or we can't do this, 
or we can't have 15 weight training coaches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, guess what? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think these these athletic departments now you could maybe take debt. I don't know. But this is a very uncertain time f- for for a business that never has a drop. Yeah. I mean, I've no. never heard of a coach go, well, I'm taking less money this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. But no, you're right. The the uh, the model on on both the academic side and the athletic side. Yeah, the, the, like the the TV contracts are still going to be there, and I think the TV demand will be immense in the fall. So that's not going to be a problem. But you go to the games, and you know the the as you, the local car dealership that sponsors a lot of stuff. Okay, what's their economic situation? The big chicken wing restaurant like Baumhauer's in Tuscaloosa, you know, are, are they taking a massive hit? Is they're they going to have to scale back what they're doing as far as sponsoring and advertising at, at Bryant-Denny Stadium and involved with athletics? On and on and on. It's going to go through these college towns. I think the ripple's going to be immense. And from the academic side, especially in the South, but probably in a lot of places, they have now really tried to market themselves, state schools, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida, yeah. to, to out-of-state students because the tuition's yeah. higher and they've been letting a ton more in. And now, hey, those students may be saying, I can't do it. You know, our family, we can't do it. We, we got to go to school in-state now. We can't afford out-of-state tuition. So their whole model has been to build explosive growth on the backs of out-of-state tuition. What are they going to do? Yeah, Alabama has more students out of state than in state right i think and so. You, you talk to alabama students from new jersey or whatever and they're like their friends are all from pennsylvania and new york yeah. uh they're not even from alabama <laughs> yeah they're huge in texas alabama has pounded texas right yeah. using football as kind of a little right. bit of the so now, of the lore they've done that well since really what our listeners care about is recruiting right like all comes <laughs> back to recruiting i really think like and dan has mentioned this in, in earlier podcasts but talking to two coaches today who are in talent or in the last couple of days in talent rich states they're really hoping that there's an effect of keeping kids home like that's yeah. a that's a very real thing well can't go on visits go want to get on planes like the, the windows are closing recruit like there is uh you know we may see like Alabama and Georgia going to poach the best kids from Southern California we may see a, a downtick in that you know you had mentioned Ohio State last time Dan and they obviously they're they're ripping it up right now now uh, yeah. part of it is the coaches are bored so like they're really locked in on recruits right like if you, when I talk to head coaches they're like our assistance jobs are to make sure our kids are who are currently there are are academically you know in good shape the recruits are academically in good shape and then recruiting like that's their jobs right now they're luke fickle had a good line he was like it's not the time to sit around and go over cover two you know like just (laughs) sitting around like uh, on zoom teaching cover two it's not a good time for that right now like this is time to like let's make sure our fundamentals are in place as a program and then uh and then move uh and then move on from there ohio state is rolling in recruiting as you mentioned and and it, it actually is killing our narrative that all the local kids now, I, I looked very few commitments during the coronavirus, few coronavirus commitments, but Ohio State somehow has landed four since March 15th, all four and three stars, one from St. Louis, one from Cincy, one from North Carolina, one from Nashville. The Buckeyes are crushing it. I don't know. They may also just be not thinking they can get somebody. I, you know, we'll see how this all plays out, but small sample Recruiting Heisman goes to <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Day and staff because yeah. they also they got Four transfer uh, Trey Simmons Sermon from uh, from Oklahoma big get there yeah. big get yeah, there yeah room was looking pretty uh, porous so that that was a big time big time get for them for wanting to contend in the next uh, in the next cycle now another one I saw uh, on the opposite end 
I'm sure they can overcome it or whatever. But Nebraska, now this is a school that would struggle with the recruiting because there just aren't local players. They lose their spring. Everyone's losing their spring game. But Nebraska's spring game is traditionally the biggest recruiting weekend of the year because they get 90,000 people in there. It's like the ultimate sign of look how big this is. Yeah. And they try to get traditionally as many recruits as possible, including young ones on campus to say, look, this is Nebraska. There ain't really much like this where we can load this place up every single time, because even the other big schools don't routinely sell out or even ever sell out their, their spring game. It can happen, but year after year. So that's, that's the kind of program. And then the other ones I just wonder about, like the new coaches, you know, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Old Miss and Miss State, Mel Tucker at Michigan State, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Drinkwitz, Eli Drinkwitz. Miss, I mean, just all these guys. Mm-hmm. You can't teach the way you want spring football. You can't get your weight training program in. And then recruiting, not only is it a dead period, but you can't even like drive around the state and go have lunch with high school coaches. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the side recruiting that isn't face to face with an elite recruit, but, you know, go see the seven on seven coach somewhere, go see this big boot, whatever you do, those guys are nonstop. They're trying to, and they're trying to meet people in their States. I mean, Mike, how much was Mike Leach recruiting in Mississippi until now, or how much was Mel Tucker in Michigan? So you lose that. Bit. It just makes it a little bit harder for these new coaches, I would think. What, what do you think, Pete? Yeah, you know, I'm actually doing an article on that uh, this week. But like, I remember Steve Adazio's first year at BC because it's up the road. All the big prep school coaches, New Jersey high school coaches, Massachusetts, they, they all brought their best players up for camp. So that was like a really pivotal part of like, hey, come up for camp. We'll take care of you. See what we do. Stay for a couple days on campus. Like that. those opportunities, because I would think you know, I'm hoping June, like there's some return to normalcy, but I don't know. I'm probably less optimistic than you are, Dan. Like, I think there's a real chance, like we, the season is compromised in college football at this point. Um, you know, cause like the bad news is still coming this week. It's not, you know, we're not, we haven't reversed the, uh, you know, reversed the, the curve yet, unfortunately. So, and I just, who knows, like they think how much the world has changed in the last 10 days. So yeah, I, I, I want to stay optimistic. I'm not trying to be fatalist, but I do think like, I was just texting with a, a number two AD at a power five school who said they've already like run the models for, you know, what happens with the finances if there is no football season. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert, doesn't look good, you know. Um, so anyway, nobody wants college football more than us. I, I think I can no. speak for you guys uh, on that. Like that's, you know, it is part of our livelihood, part of our passion, um, part of everything. But I, I do think we'd be naive to not acknowledge the notion that it couldn't uh, that it couldn't happen. But anyway, to back to back to the recruiting piece of this, there's but it does really favor like talking to Fickle the other day. He's going into his fourth year. He's got a ton of seniors. His first recruits are there. So the stability of the program, I mean, I'd guess Mel Tucker or whoever fill in your first year you know, coach, they're just getting to learn all their guys' names. Right. And learn like who's a good student, who's not a good student, who do we have to push, who can we try? Like like all those early dynamics of relationship building are now shot. And you got to go do it again. Yeah, I think the first year coaches are at a uh, at a huge disadvantage. This will be uh, really interesting because let's take a Mel Tucker. If you're a Michigan State head coach, you're going to go down to Cincinnati, and let's say it's still a dead period. You fly down to Cincinnati and you have lunch with the coach at, at Moeller and Xavier, all Saint Xavier, Saint X, and all these different places that have you know great programs down there, and start introducing yourself. 
And and if you're not able to do that, does someone like Luke Fickle, when it comes time to to get to the recruiting, the real recruiting starts, you've lost all that ground. Does this place like Cincinnati, hey, you know what? This is a weird year, but we trust Luke because we know him. And yeah. the the players know, you know, right? Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden, some of these schools, like like an AAC school that's sitting on talent, might, yep. might do a little better, you know? Yeah. Uh, the UCF and USFs are going to have right. a chance against the outside lower yeah, level SEC schools. not going to beat Ohio State for a recruit. Yeah. Notre yeah. Dame's still going to get the kid from Cincinnati, but, you know, maybe it's just one more chance. I don't know. We'll see. Go ahead, Pat. The, there's no doubt that I think that for these guys can even get their feet in the door, these other people that have had established relationships and there's this natural block towards them getting in and building relationships, yeah, that's it's. there's no doubt it's an advantage for those sort of schools. I want to circle back real quick to Nebraska. And the, the 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 hit that they could take off the spring game because Jerry DiNardo from Big Ten Network does a really good job of actually like tracking recruiting within the Big Ten, and one of his big things is like place like Nebraska has to make hay with unofficial visits. You've got to get kids on your campus. They'll pay their own way. Maybe they're you know, from Chicago, from wherever, and come in, and you've got to be able to to make that foothold. If you're going to compete in a recruiting situation that now is you are, you have much less of an advantage than Nebraska ever used to have. And so now you take that away and you take away that spring game. And it's even worse, I think, in terms of trying to compete uh, with the other schools in the Big Ten. You are losing a major, major part of what you can do, kind of start winning the day with some of those recruits. So there's no doubt that the the, the lack of a spring. Well, you know, I sit, I hate covering spring football. And I think most of the players hate doing spring football for the coaches. A, it's important for for strategy and team building and all that stuff. But B, recruiting and getting kids on campus during spring games is really big. All right, a little college basketball. We uh, we talked a little tournament last week. We talked a little bit more. We watched some games, but I did. I wanted to jump this in. I um, went on a uh, podcast streamcast. I guess they're calling it the NRM streamcast company, uh, which features Jimmy King, the former member of the Fab Five. And Terry Foster, who's a longtime Detroit News columnist and a uh, co-host of an afternoon drive time show in Detroit. Great guy. And uh, so I'm on the King and Foster streamcast last week. And Jimmy King starts talking. We were talking Jerry Tarkanian stories, recruiting stories, different stuff. It's really good. Check it out. King and Foster. But he tells this one about his recruiting trip to Kentucky back in the day. I, it was it's a fantastic story. So it, let's just play it. Tell them who picked you up in the Mercedes. Oh, Dan. So here's my other recruiting story from another uh, guy. Congratulations. <laughs> you just got the uh, head coaching job at Iona College. Uh, Rick Pitino. <laughs> when he was at Kentucky, he picked me up from the airport <clears throat> by himself, except for he was driving. And what he was driving was a white on white cocaine white. I'm talking about the whitest the white <laughs> bins. 600 bins. They don't even make them anymore. And um, I got in the car. Convertible? Convertible. Yeah. Got in the car. Had to be. And went. Uh, we were going to his house to have breakfast with his family. And um, on the way there, he looks at me and uh, he was like, what you think about the car? And I'm like, it's nice. You know, it's, 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 you know, he's like, can you see yourself in? And I was like, yeah. He was like, you want one? And I just looked at him, 
<laughs> and and he, you know, he gave me that Rick Pitino look. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to have one. He was like, if you come here, kid, this is yours. Wow. So, so, so these, these recruiting trips were, uh, and, and visits were all different and special for some of the greatest guys. That we know oh, wow. Uh, of course, if I if I asked him that question as a reporter, he said, oh, no, that of never course. happened. No, 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 not at all. Of course not. And if you were oh, asking me, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. like, I'm, I'm, I'm just divulging now. But right. if you ask me, I'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Statue of limitations. <laughs> over, right? So there you go. You want it? <laughs> it's yours, kid. <laughs> Cocaine white. <laughs> Cocaine white. The whitest of the white. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I joke with him after, if you listen to the whole streamcast, of course, you got nothing but a quality education at Michigan. They offered you nothing but a quality education, and he, and he, and he laughed. Uh, one of the things we know is in, in, in covering recruiting is there's lots of offers, but no one ever takes it. They always take yeah. the no offer. That's yeah. amazing. Sure. It's yes. amazing. Why? Every Why time. go play Kentucky, University of Kentucky? Right, one of the greatest programs of all time for Rick Patino, one of the greatest coaches of all time, and driver Mercedes. When you could not do that, <laughs> right? So of course Jimmy King did not do that. He went and joined the Fab Five. It worked out fine for him at at Michigan. But is that not a classic or what? That's Woo. a great story. Great story, I will say. And yeah, I'm sure Ed Martin didn't. You know, never made the acquaintance <laughs> of, of Ed Martin at Michigan, anything yeah. like that. Uh, just as Cam Newton declined the 180 from Mississippi State to go to Auburn for free. But uh, yeah, no, that's how did recruiting actually get done? That's how. It's too bad it takes 27 or eight years <laughs> to find these stories out. Like, it probably would have been 29 years if uh, Jimmy King, 91, 92, was his first year at Michigan, but. Great story, nonetheless. I love it. Patino and his convertible Mercedes yeah. 600. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, here's a look. When the Rick, head Rick coach was slick back then, up, man, he was smooth. When the head coach picks you up and has no assistance with him, some stuff's going to go down in that conversation, okay? When the, there's nobody else there to listen to it, it's just you and him, yeah, that's probably a pretty good sign there's going to be some real recruiting going on. He previously told this story about Jerry Tarkanian coming to recruit him. And what he liked was Tark was so comfortable. And this was something they always said about Jerry Tarkanian. He's so comfortable in African-American houses and different neighborhoods and what just comfortable just with anybody. He just showed up all by himself. He had no papers, no briefcase, nothing. Just sat down and basically asked him if he was coming. He said, we got to think about it. So he said, well, you guys think about it. And then Tark took a nap on the couch, <laughs> leaned back and fell asleep. And then woke up like an hour later and the family's just like, what? Like <laughs> Jerry Tarkane is asleep on the couch. What do we do? Wake up. Uh, really good great. stories from Jimmy King. So I just love that story. Uh, statue of limitations are over. I don't care. Way over. Yeah. Don't care. Coach Patino should be free. Coach Patino on this. I don't care. Didn't take it. But what a great, what a great scene. Well, Rick check Patino the, driving the Mercedes with Jimmy King in there. And that's Jimmy <laughs> King, man. That ain't even a Weber. <laughs> yeah, right. Rose. Exactly. He was Where's like Juwan the, Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Third yeah. or fourth Jay, string recruit on that should, team. What would he get? You know? Yeah. Like Maybach? <laughs> Jalen, man. I know this. Look, in a year or two, we'll check the parking lot at Iona for if they got any four star guys. <laughs> and we'll see if they got Mercedes up there at New Rochelle. I would go there. If I was that level of recruit, I would flock to go play for him.
Oh yeah, he's gonna make you. Yeah. He's You're gonna just gonna make win. You good. That league sucks too. I mean, that league is really yeah. bad right now. So it might take him a year because the roster's bad, and the the old coach had sort of done a very hardcore like uh, Ellis Island kind of. Oh, you got thrown out of there. Come here, come here, Tim Close. Now he did a great job. He made four straight NCAA tournaments until last year, and he missed last season too because of uh, health issues. But I do think APR wise, roster wise, like they've got to they've got to pull it out a little bit. So they may not make the tournament this year. But Patino's gonna roll the Mac. Like how could he not? Yeah, it would be stunner if he didn't. Yeah, be an absolute stunner if he didn't. So they played some uh, NCAA uh, basketball games over the weekend on TV. I actually did not watch uh, much. I, I was actually busier. I've been busier than I think, and I got the kids and all this. But I did see some pretty cool stuff, like Bill Self live tweeting the 2008 yeah. championship game and. Uh, some of the memories. Did you watch any of these broadcasts? And what'd you think? Is it is obviously not the same as the real thing, but did it help? I enjoyed it. It was like good background noise while I worked. Um, the one personal memory that came back from that uh, from that Kansas. What what happens is like you go to all these games and you see hundreds and hundreds of games is they all get distilled into one moment, right? Like you all you you remember Mario Chalmers' shot. What you don't remember are like the seven possessions before. Like there was some wild action at the end of that Kansas Memphis game. Wild action. So it was fun to see that. I had not seen that Derrick Rose left wing long two that put them up nine. And I think they took a point off to make it eight. That was with four something left. And I vividly remember that in my mind because he hits that. And I'm writing for a newspaper at the time on a, on a really tight deadline on a nine o'clock tip. And I just put my head down. Like, there's a certain point when you're writing a live story, you're like, okay, Memphis is winning. And I had my Memphis win story already filed with like a minute and a half to go. So I'm just sitting there with my arms crossed on press row. And then all of a sudden, Kansas puts on this mad rush and comes back. And I just remember being like, oh, no, this is not good. <laughs> now, luckily, that game went to overtime, which gives you like a little bit of cushion to, to do it. But yeah, that was like, that was like all of a sudden, like the puberty sweats hit. And you're like, oh, this is not good. And like the entire first story you just filed has nothing useful for the other story about, you know, one of the greatest comebacks in, uh, in NCAA history. So I, uh, I did not go back and look at my game story from that night because it would not have been good. That's, uh, that's the truth of people ask who we root for. No. When you're covering a night game on deadline, you root for whoever's winning to keep winning because yes. you're writing your story and you've got to get it in and you don't have time for a plot twist at the end. Yeah. And that's uh, one of the other games that was on and I didn't watch any of them. For some reason, I'm a little bit resistant to it because I don't know. For some, like, I want my memory of the game to be my memory of the game to a degree, and it's it is not a good substitute to me for watching a game and not knowing what's going to happen. Which is one of the reason reasons I enjoy this job is you don't, never know what you're going to see. But 92 Duke Kentucky, which was on I think Saturday, I had four versions running of that story. And it was like 67 to 55 with 10 minutes left or 12 minutes left. Patino calls timeout. They've been playing a zone all game, which is so anti that team. Patino's like, they're killing us. We've got to junk it. We're going to what we do. We're going to press. And they come back. But that timeout that they called at 67, 55, I am putting my head down and writing. The dream's over. Kentucky loses. Duke's just too good. Bah, 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 bah. I'm writing for the Louisville paper. So it's a Kentucky-centric story. And then they start coming back. Whoop! Start writing the next story. Start writing the next version. Unbelievable comeback. Bah, 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 bah. Falls short. Go to overtime. You're like, oh, now what are we going to do? Then Sean Woods hits that shot coming out of a timeout, and they inbound oh. the ball directly in front of me. 
And John Pelfrey, who's a skinny dude, sets a crushing screen that absolutely levels Bobby Hurley. And Woods turns into the lane and throws that thing, that prayer over Leitner and in. Timeout Duke. Whoop! Kentucky wins miracle game. You start writing the third version like this is unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. You know, the biggest win in Kentucky history. <laughs> then, of course, you know what happens at the end. And then you're trying to write that one. That was a bad night on deadline. <laughs> The hardest deadline story I ever did was the um, was not college basketball, so I'll, I'll breeze through it. But it was the Super Bowl Patriots Seahawks. Oh, so if you Malcolm. remember, yeah, Malcolm Ma- Butler. Malcolm go, Malcolm go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fourth quarter, Seattle's leading by ten. Yeah. Okay, so Seattle's going to win the Super Bowl, and 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 on we we need a story on the Super Bowl on Yahoo. Literally, like the second the game ends, so you really need to file before the game ends. But you do as best you can. I mean, the deadline is immediate. So Seattle's going to win. All of a sudden, Brady leads them down. Two touchdowns, 14 points. Boom, Patriots are going to win. It's like two minutes left in the something, very little left in the game. Patriots are going to win the game. And uh, now it's here go Tom Brady with the, the another comeback from Superman Tom. Then Seattle gets it. Wilson throws that long pass down the sideline, gets tipped. It's like the crazy catch. And they get it. Unbelievable catch. Yeah. Unbelievable catch. So this is going to be like the helmet catch. This is going to yeah. be like the, the 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 Eli Manning the second time mm-hmm. he drops the ball in and he happens. Patriots lose again on this like miracle catch. All they got to do is run the ball in, and then I'm typing, typing. I look up and I see the pick, <laughs> and I go, "Who this picked that off?" Now I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm like Darrell Revis, right? <laughs> like yeah. they go Butler. Someone yells Butler. I'm like. Who the hell is Butler? I've never heard of Butler, okay? This is the dime package guy, undrafted rookie out of West Alabama. Malcolm Butler, who I've never heard of in my life, just made the one of the all-time, they'll play 100 Super Bowls. That'll be one of the top three plays of all time. No doubt. The Patriots are going to win. The only thing that saved me is the Seahawks and Gronk. Like, Gronk and the entire Seahawks team photo got in a fight. <laughs> And delayed the game like five minutes. Yeah, because they sorted out all these penalties. If you remember, if you remember the game, because ever... they had to kneel. The Patriots did have some like dicey clock. Yeah, they had to there and had to Brady kneel had to kneel on the punt. Yeah, the one inch line in the end zone. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yes. but they got a late hit on. There was a fight and this unsportsmanlike conduct, or I don't yes. know what it was, or there was there's some penalty that saved me, and I could find out enough info that Malcolm Butler was the thing. So. Yeah, those games Former are Popeye's you employee them. for our listeners. If we want to bring it all back home, <laughs> Malcolm Butler used to work at a Popeye's. Popeye's, there you go. Undrafted, there he was, West Alabama. I do remember that 08 game in that it was a very exciting game. And my uh, second daughter was born March 22nd. We just had her birthday. Exciting coronavirus <laughs> quarantine birthday. Nothing better than that when you're oh, a kid. Yeah. So I did not go to the final four because it was like, you know, within two, it's like 10 days later. So I'm home and I'm watching the national championship game, but I had a three-year-old and a, and a newborn. So like, we're going to bed at like eight o'clock, man. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's, you don't know when the baby's going to wake back up, but I want to watch the championship game. So I watch, I'm trying to watch the first half, but we didn't, have, you know, it was a small house and, and this is like a really good game. So no, I'm like, screw game. it. I'm going to, I'm going to walk down to the corner bar and watch the second half where I can at least, like watch everyone's asleep in my house 
And I remember sitting down there and watching it there and the place going crazy as it went back and forth. And it was really fun during a time when, when you have a new baby, you're pretty much uh, quarantined. Yeah. So it was like my one, one outlet. And then it was just this great, I remember that great game and everyone going, you know, why not foul? And oh my God. And you know, oh, you yeah. could just see once Memphis blew that first lead, it was over. Like there was yeah. no coming back. No, miss free throw, miss free throw, give up a three, miss a, I mean, oh. they, they, it was like watching a building collapse in slow motion, basically for you about a two bad. minute and 13 second span. I want to say where they just, you went, they went from a sure win to, oh my gosh, we're going to overtime. You look at how good these old teams are. You watch that. that I did watch a little of that Duke Kentucky. I mean, so oh. many guys. Yeah. So yeah. they're, and they're, and they're 20 and 21, you know? Yeah. College yeah. basketball man was something else back in the day. Even in like oh wait, you look at like Darrell Arthur, like a twenty oh, and ten yeah. guy. Who, yeah. In my mind, he stayed four years. He might only stayed three. Like those Darrell Arthurs are spinning through faster now. You know, like sure. Kansas was old and they were big. Uh, they were very, you know, they were Brandon very Rush. Brandon yes. Rush yeah. defense, not only in that game but against Steph Curry in that Elite Eight. Oh yeah, they put yeah. Brandon Rush on Steph Curry and slowed him down. Mm-hmm. And I think it really forced that last shot. Steph didn't take that flash shot in that elite eight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jason they had Richards guys like that. Brandon Rush was yeah. a baller. Of oh, all yeah. the Rush brothers, he ended up being the one. Yep. Yep. And just an athlete. And he had no problem just being a defensive guy. Right. And uh, yeah, there's some Doug- really good. Chris Douglas Rogers was really good on that team. Uh, on the so, Memphis PR, team, Antonio man. Anderson. I mean, very good college players. All right. So, uh, we hope everyone can handle the uh, distancing and play distancing, social distancing. Do what you can. Uh, I know some some of our listeners live in big cities, some live in small, but it, it all matters. The sooner we get through this, the sooner we, you know. Hopefully, we get back up and running, get the economy running, and and save some lives and all of that stuff. Uh, I was encouraged that during times when they're making rulings on what is essential or not, liquor stores have been deemed essential. Heck yeah. I don't think you're going to get a lot of argument on this pod from liquor stores being deemed essential. <laughs> this would have gotten ugly, man. This hey. would have gotten ugly. Kentucky, given how big a stick bourbon swings in this state, you know they were going to be essential. Ooh, I mean that's a great point. Yeah, Sam Adams. Sam Adams's uh, 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 relatives weren't going to let that happen in Massachusetts. So that's, you know, <laughs> especially, <laughs> I uh, I did pick up at. Uh, my uh, my corner bar here in South Boston shenanigans. I got I got some salads the other day uh, takeout and was chatting with the with the manager there. And he said that, like, they had like they have a cellar full of beer right now and they have no idea what to do with it because they were stocking up for St. Patrick's Day, which is you can uh, imagine in South Boston. Yeah. It's just they had huh. St. Patrick's Day and then they had they had March Madness. Right. So this was like, you know, like and Dan's talked about his buddy owns a sports bar. And then he, he just uh, he was behind the bar and I was chatting with him from a social distance. And he pulls a green Bud Light out of uh, out of the beer fridge, uh, in the, like the cooler. And he was like, nobody's going to want these when we come back. And I was yeah. like, you know, like the I would yeah. I would pay more to even buy it from a bar to help him out. I honestly would. Yeah. I mean, no. I, yeah. you know, I know breweries, some of the small breweries you can pull up and get curbside like growlers. Right. Yeah. Things like yep. that. Yep. And then I heard like Mexican restaurants, like you can get a five gallon jug of margaritas and, mm. you know, because that's where they make their money. These restaurants, yeah, sure. it's not on selling you the taco. It's, right. it's yeah. selling you the margarita. I'm encouraging everyone to drink. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> get after set, it. Set the example, Dan. Set the example. I, I'm going to do my part. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we all have to sacrifice during these times. We're leaders in, in times of crisis right here on this podcast. That's really it. That's really what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got I got this one story of, of drinking Baker Lake, Washington, Baker Lake, Washington, Associated Press. So this is actually reputable, <laughs> although the story is old. But okay. we're going to recycle it because it came across my feed recently. So whatever. State fish and wildlife agents recently found a black bear passed out on the lawn of a Baker Lake resort. <laughs> there were some clues scattered nearby. Dozens of empty cans of Rainier beer. <laughs> wow. Rainier. The bear apparently got into some campers coolers, used his claws and teeth to puncture the cans and not just any cans. Now, this is the joke you guys are going to love. He drank the Rainier and wouldn't touch the bush beer. No! <laughs> My Lisa Bronson, bookkeeper at the campground and cabins resort near Mount Baker. Ah, I, I don't like bear. this bear. I love the bear. Fish and Wildlife Enforcement Sergeant Bill Heenick said the bear did try one care of can of bush, <laughs> but ignored the rest. <laughs> The beast then consumed about 36 cans of Rainier. Wow. (laughs) Or is it Rainier? Am I saying it wrong? No, it's Rainier. 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 No, it tells you how bad Bush is if you're going to choose Rainier over that. If you are. Sully says he loves it. Sully (laughs) is a bear. I think I have better taste than the bear. Bear doesn't even know what he's supposed to be drinking. Dumb bear. He knows. Smart bear. Smart bear. Discerning bear. I love it. I love it. We we need to we need to like send him a case of Rainier, wherever that bear is. Just give it that to him. That bear just getting He's hammered. He's a loyal Thir- podcast listener, so I'm sure he can just add us on Twitter. Yeah. There you go. How many beers does it take to get a, ba- a black bear passed out drunk? Apparently 36. <laughs> 36. I thought it would be more, to be honest with you. I will say uh, a few years ago, got a friend who has a cabin in Asheville, North Carolina. We go into town. To eat dinner. We come back. The entire kitchen is ransacked. The refrigerator opened everything like all over the place. Bear broke in, opened the refrigerator. Whipped cream went really big on the whipped cream, Ooh. but ate a ton of stuff out of there. So those bears, oh. you know, they, oh they like God. human food. Yeah. How yeah. scared were you when you came back? Like, do you? I guess you know the bear's not there because you'd hear it. Well, yeah, yeah. We knew it wasn't there, but it, it probably hadn't been very long. Since the bear had been there, his hair's all over the place. But it was really funny. The whipped cream was like sprayed all around the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome. All right. So if you're you're up there by Baker Lake or anywhere in the Pacific Northwest or anywhere where there's a black bear, drink (laughs) bush beer. That guy, he's not going to steal your beer. (laughs) It's the worst left-handed compliment you can give bush. Stay inside, wash your hands, and drink bush. (laughs) Your safety right. guide from the uh, Yahoo Sports podcast. That's it. That's the lesson. Let's beat this virus. Damn thing. All right. We'll talk to you guys late in the week. Please keep listening, sharing on social media. Tell your friends. They're all got nothing to do either. This thing isn't that bad. <laughs> Better than nothing. And you got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> There's the sign off right there. There you go. Talk to you later. Stay safe. <laughs>